Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 21 of Real Travels. I'm your host, Lisa Iannucci, and on today's show, I welcome author Sandra Gervis, who talks about her trip to London and her love of the longtime British television detective drama Midsummer Murders, which has been running since 1997. I also welcome a brand new episode sponsor who's going to share some traveling tips you won't want to miss. Oh, and if you're a fan of professional wrestling and want to hear from the man formerly known as Damian Sandow, Aaron Stevens, he's my Celebrity Minute today. I'm so excited. Can you guess what his favorite movie is? Sit back and enjoy the show. My name is Lisa Iannucci, and not only am I the founder of Real Travels, but I'm also the author of On Location, a film and TV lover's travel guide. You can still find it on Amazon. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. Uh, buy your copy today. Put it in your suitcase or keep it in your RV. Can you tell I'm kind of RV happy lately? And use it to find some hidden treasures around the United States. Now, first, if you can hear my air conditioner in this episode, I don't care. (laughs) It's 103 degrees outside where I am, hotter if you add in the humidity, and I am not turning off the air conditioner for the sake of production. I'm staying cool, but I do apologize if you hear a hum. I want to welcome my sponsor of this episode, Kim Delpont, owner-operator of Pixie Dust and Paradise Travel. Her website is www.pixiedustandparadisetravel.com. And if this episode gets you in the mood to travel to London or anywhere, really, Kim's the perfect travel agent for you. She's the owner and lead travel consultant at Pixie Dust and Paradise Travel in Chicago. She opened her agency in 2011 after a health scare that made her realize that she wanted to see the world and create lasting memories with her two young daughters. How many of us have said that? She's passionate about helping families create those same types of magical memories. Kim specializes in family, multi-generational, and group travel. She's a recognized authority in the industry and has numerous accreditations and certifications with many destinations and suppliers. Kim also holds a seat on the Family Travel Advisory Board. She owned a hair salon for 25 years, and through word of mouth from her existing clientele, she was able to create this thriving travel business. Her business now consists of repeat and referral clients. She also has a growing team of agents who help her grow the brand. Teamwork makes dream work. She's a frequent speaker within the travel industry, as well as often quoted and featured in several publications. Kim has a TPI ambassador advocate for several years, and she hosts the local travel agent networking group. She also loves helping new agents become successful entrepreneurs. Kim believes that educating herself on the properties she sells is of the utmost importance. She's traveled over Mexico and the Caribbean. She's definitely an expert in all things Disney. She's often traveling to new and exciting destinations to learn firsthand about the product and location that she's sending her clients to. She thinks forming relationships with the suppliers and the BDMs that she partners with is invaluable to her business and her clients. Kim, thank you so much for sponsoring this episode of Real Travels. 
Kim did give me some great travel tips that I'm going to share with you after the interview later, so stick around for those. It's going to be a new thing I'm going to be putting on the show. I'm going to give out more practical information and more tips on travel and especially RV travel. As I learn, I'm going to pass the information along to you guys. But before we get to all that, I've been reading a lot about tourists who are traveling to Chernobyl because of the HBO series. Influencers are taking photos at the site and posting on social media. And honestly, I don't get it. I heard the show's good. I'm not into it. And even if I was, nothing would get me to go to Chernobyl. I love film and TV tourism, and I'm here to promote that. But to me, that's just crossing a line. So enough about that. That's what I have to say about it. I've been asked from some people about it, so I wanted to just put it out there. Pick and choose your places carefully, people. So what have I been up to? Still busy working and dealing with this hot, hot weather in New York. Still planning my trip to Mystic, Connecticut and the surrounding areas. And, of course, still going to the movies. What did I see recently? I saw yesterday. I absolutely loved it, although I felt like the end could have been a little different. No spoilers, though. I saw Lion King today, and although I don't bring it, thought it bring, brought anything new to the screen, I enjoyed the adaptation. But here's one that surprised me in a good way. I was in the mood for something funny one day, and as a wrestling fan and someone who enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy, I like Dave Bautista. Always have. Stuber looked funny, so my daughter and I went to see it, and I have to tell you it was the funniest, one of the funniest movies I've seen this year. Seriously. Dave Bautista the big wrestler in a movie called Stuber is really funny. I know so many wrestlers are trying to make the transition from wrestling to acting and it doesn't work. In this case, Batista picked a good movie to carry a heavier role. Go see it. I gave it an eight and a half out of 10. Now, speaking of wrestling, now for my celebrity minute, which I'm going to do first. If you don't already know, I'm unashamed to admit that I've been a big fan of professional wrestling since I was a little girl. I've had interviewed multiple professional wrestlers in my career, and I've had Chris Jericho on my Celebrity Minute before. But this week is another one of my favorites. When he was in the WWE, he was known and is thoroughly missed as Damian Sandow. But Aaron Stevens is now making a name for himself outside the WWE and in Hollywood. So I had a chance recently to ask him what his favorite film and TV travel story was, and he shared this with me. Hello, this is Aaron Stevens, formerly known as Damien Sandow, now known simply as The Dow. And here is my favorite travel film story. So, actually, I live out in Los Angeles or the Los Angeles area now. And when I first moved out there, I um, was kind of just finding my way around the area. And in a couple different streets looked familiar. Um, but one in particular, it was the original dojo uh, of the Cobra Kai and Karate Kid, that was, of course, the uh, the bad guys led by Sensei John Kreese, and I was such a fan of the movie. And I'm a huge fan of the uh, YouTube Red series, Cobra Kai. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. I think it's one of the best shows I've seen ever. So I actually came across this area, and I said, oh, yeah, that's where they filmed the Karate Kid. And then I, I did some more research. I found out it was the actual Cobra Kai dojo, and I went there, and I actually did take a selfie. So I don't fan out much, but... That was a time where I definitely did. I love it. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much for sharing 
your story with me. Um, I get really giddy when I do my celebrity minutes, uh, and I, I'm, I'm so grateful when they take the time out of their busy schedule to share their great stories with me. So, Aaron, thank you so much for that. Please make sure you follow him on Twitter at Aaron's Thoughts, A-R-O-N-S, Thoughts. And, you know, support him in his career, just like we did when he was in WWE. I'm not going anywhere. I'm supporting him. And I hope he gets over to the New York area soon so we can see him in action again. So today's guest is Sandra Gerbis, a longtime writer friend of mine, who's also a fan of the British show Midsummer Murders. Sandra talks about her trip to London to see where the show was filmed and talks about the re-release of her book, The Pipe Dreamers Reissue the 50th anniversary of the Kent and Jackson State Tragedies, a heartbreaking interlude and a second chance. And it's always fun when I have my writer friends on, and this was a fun interview, and I hope you enjoy it. And when it's over, I'll be back with some travel tips. So on this week's episode of Real Travels, I don't know, I seem to be bringing on a lot of my writer friends lately, but that's for good reason, and that's because they have a lot of really cool things to talk about. And this week's guest is Sandra Gervis, who, you know, I could sit here and read her bio. She has done more in her career. I mean, she's written 17 books. If I don't even know if that number's current, but it's 17 well, books. Well, uh, 116 yeah. and a half. <laughs> if I survive the 17, if I survive the half of the 16, then you can say I've written 17 books. I'm in the middle of writing another one, so I'll say it's We're going to definitely <laughs> talk about that. And she's written hundreds of, of magazine articles, and I, I can talk to her about so many different aspects of her career, which we're going to get into some of it today. But first, I want to say welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you very much for having me. This is, I haven't done this in a while, so I might be a little rusty. I don't know. So, uh, oh, no, I think you'll do just fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, let my, talk, tell my listeners a little bit about your background, because you have a very diverse kind of writing, but I'd like to kind of focus right. on some of the travel writing and things that you've done, too. So, how did you get into right. all of this? Well, you know, um, I, you know, I started out, you know, writing about my own experiences, um, and then I, it was what became my novel, The Pipe Dreamers, about the Vietnam protests. Um, and then I realized as I was writing that I didn't really uh, know anything about writing, so I started to write other things. And then I worked a little on nonfiction. And I started to do a lot of uh, travel pieces around Ohio for a magazine that was owned by our electric cooperative. And I started to do museums. And around Ohio and unusual ones. And I got this idea for doing a book on unusual museum. And that became the Cockroach Hall of Fame and I had one other off the wall museum, which was like, this was like way back in the early nineties. It like landed me on Good Morning America. It got me written up in every newspaper in, you know, in the United States. But it was a lot different then. Publishing was a lot different then. But so I've kind of, that's one thread of what I do. So that from that, I mean, I was not happy about, you know, I was maybe, I don't know, like I said, this was like the 90s, like early 90s. And I mean, you know, publishing was a lot different then. And I was not happy about being the author of the cockroach book. I, I, I wanted, I was, I mean, I did not like that, you know. 
And uh, but the, you know that unusual aspect of it really got me a lot of attention. That sold a lot of books, and that book became America's Strangest Museum. Okay, and uh, and I wish that they had continued with that book, but they didn't. It went only I think into three editions or something like that, and then the publisher folded, and then publishing, of course, has changed, and everything is is very different now. But I continue to do travel writing. I don't do as much because I have other, many other things that I want to do as well. But I do continue with the travel writing from time to time. It is fun. It is enlightening. I like, I like writing about weird stuff. I wanted, wanted for years I wanted to do a book on presidential libraries, and the 2016 election kind of killed that dream. And, uh, and so um, I, I – yeah, we're not going there, I know. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh, well, but, you know, honestly, I just kind of keep rolling along with this weird stuff and this unusual stuff. And um, one of the things I was exposed to when I was younger is I went to, to England, and a part of my life was tied up with London and England. But then when I was newly divorced, I was watching something. I started watching A&E TV years ago. This was, like, in the early 2000s. And there was a show on A&E TV, it had just started, called Midsummer Murders. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is a life I never had. I became obsessed <laughs> with that show. Obsessed. Absolutely obsessed. And then about two or three years later, they took it off the, they took it off the air in the United States, although I knew that they had renewed it in England. And you couldn't get it. You, it was because everyone – it was before the inter, Internet really used streaming and all that. You had to get it on CDs, and the CDs weren't compatible between the UK and the United States. So I was like bereft because I fell in love with this TV show, and I couldn't I couldn't get the CD. You know, I couldn't see it. So to make a long story short, eventually they figured it out. And I got a bunch of CDs at the library, and in my mind, I thought I really want to write about this. I want to write about what it's like to go over there and see the show where it's filmed because this is like my other life that I didn't have, okay? And um, anyway, so I eventually, you know, with streaming and the advent of, you know, of streaming TV and Acorn TV, I was able to see all 20 seasons of it, and I'm actually going, I'm still working my way through the second viewing of all 20 seasons. But it just became something that I really wanted to do. And over the years, with many things that happened in my life, I finally came, put together this idea of pet sitting, sitting for cats, because I love cats. I met a woman who had a pet sitting blog, and she, uh, she and I hit it off. We met on Facebook. She was looking for somebody to sit. This was like maybe five or six years ago. And this didn't happen overnight. This is not something that's like, oh, let's put on a show, and it was a Broadway hit. This was not, this was over the years, over a period of time. And so I met this woman, uh, she was looking, she had a really good pet sitting site called housefitmatch.com. We corresponded over the years. I started to seriously consider, uh, because there was another project I wanted to work on too. Uh, I decided that I really needed to take like a little sabbatical and go to England for a period of time. And Mm -hmm. last year, when uh, I finally kind of got my act together because everything that had happened in my personal life, I had a son who passed away 
and I was dealing with his illness and just a lot of different things. But last year, finally, the stars aligned, and I got to sit in Elford, um, London, for 12 days with three cats. It was great. And as part of that okay, I'm going to stop you there because there, there's, there's so much. I'm going to stop you there for a second because there's so much that from that point on I want to talk to you about. But I wanted to backtrack okay. too because before we even get into a little bit more of the because I, I I mean it was so creative how you put that together and the pet sitting and I want to talk about that but tell people first like what is this I know there's 20 seasons which is for for many shows nowadays unheard of for being on okay, for so yeah, long you, except you want me to write 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 you want to talk about what the, Book is it? Yeah, just tell our, right? tell my audience a little yeah. bit about what the show's about. I caught a, a, an episode or two. I, again, I haven't really watched a lot of it, and right, I can see right. how you were hooked. You know, because it, it was <laughs> yeah. very entertaining. It, it it's it's a soap opera. It really is, and it sucked me in. And in the characters, um, were were just really interesting. And I thought the writing was really good, just on the couple episodes that I saw. But give a synopsis right. of what the show's about. Okay, this show is based on the novels of Carol and Graham. And basically what it is, it's basically a procedural, a murder mystery set in these tiny little villages in England in this fictional place called uh, Midsummer. Okay, it's, it's, and the, the police station is located in another fictional place called Cawston, C-A-U-S-T-O-N. And the place does, it's kind of like Brigadoon, okay? It, it exists kind of, but it doesn't. And it's actually filmed in Buckinghamshire in England. I, if memory serves, I have to check that. But it's filmed in, this, in around Buckinghamshire. And it's a very, each, uh, each show has a murder mystery. And it's all about these people that have lived in these small villages and they, they are right, you know, have fights among each other, and there's greed and lust and adultery. And you've got these two very straight-laced British detectives. Uh, uh, God, I, hate, I can't remember names. Terrible, sorry. Too late. Uh, I wish I had it. Uh, two British detectives. Uh, they changed a couple times over the years, and they go in with their suits and their, you know, respectability, and just slowly uncover what's going on in these little villages, whether it's a bell ringing society or a, or a Shakespeare festival or a wine tasting judging it, or, or a factory, you know, murder in a factory. It's always uncovering people's hidden secrets and vices. So it makes for great entertainment. And there's a lot of sly humor. And so, and yet it's not, um, it, it's not so gory and gross, but it's it's edgy. It's not edgy. I would not. I don't particularly like speaking for myself. I don't like the kinds of things, Breaking Bad, uh, you know, stuff like that. And a lot of people really like that, and that's great, you know. But it's not me. It's not what I like. I I don't like mm-hmm. pieces and cream either. But I like things that are where you can d- depend on people. That I don't know. It's kind of it's hard to explain. It's just kind of like law and order, I guess that would be probably something I'd not as procedural as law and order, but and, and, and far more entertaining with a lot more eccentric characters. But it's kind of like or NCIS. I mean, to draw a parallel with the kind of characterization 
that's what you get. And that's what I personally mm-hmm. like to watch, you know. So that is that. So each week they go into these little tiny villages and towns in the fictional, you know, little Milton and, and you know, and Costin in these various places. And these police investigate these various murders. And, I mean, sometimes it's gory and sometimes it's gross, but sometimes it's really funny. One of my favorites is when this, uh, this rocker came into town on a motorcycle, and the gentleman uh, whose name escapes me, the original detective, he was a secret rocker himself, and they were jamming, and it was great to see this aspect of his personality. So you could see, you know, the way the characterization was. It wasn't like hitting you in the face with the shocking things, but showing you real facets of real personalities. You would have never guessed that this, you know, straight-laced, detective was a rocker in college until they did this episode where this rocker came into town and they were producing this rock concert. So that's the kind of characterization that people like, a lot of people like. I mean, the thing has is, is in its 20th season. I don't know if it's going to go anymore. I was trying to read up on it. But, I mean, and it's on Acorn and it's TV. It's on Netflix. It's on, I think it's on BritBox. It's, I think it's, it's everywhere now. So does that explain it? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because so many of my friends and even, even my daughter, they're so into the um, British television shows. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you have Downton Abbey that's even coming out as a movie and right, Doctor yeah. Who and, all, you know, what do you think it is about their style of television and the attraction to their shows um that's drawing in so many people to watch that i i think it's even more than before well i think it's a real focus on storytelling i think it's a real focus on storytelling and not shock value and i mm-hmm. think that i mean Amer- american television is good parts of it are good when they when they but i've seen british and i've seen canadian tv do the same thing when you get you need when you have a, a, a series or a, 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 even a series of books, you've got to have characters that are fully developed with many facets of their personalities. Because when you start relying on shock value, I mean, one thing that kind of pops up, and, I, and this may people may not agree with me, is that show Mad Men. I saw the first show of it, and I was I, I was not a fan. It was not my cup of tea. But one of the things. That you know, they showed this guy who was man about town, and all of a sudden, there he was with his wife and two kids. That that's shock value, or and sometimes it's very predictable. You know, you'll watch a show, and and there'll be these two characters, and they're in an elevator, and they're making love in the elevator. Okay, you know, that's that's fake for storytelling. They're throwing in all these twists for shock value. A lot of British TV, not all of it, because sometimes they do the same thing is it's based on character and story so that you get into these people's lives, you get into their heads, and you find out that they're like you and that you, they have the same problems you do, and they really go underneath the hood of what's going on in their heads. I mean, there's so many shows like there's Shetland. That's another good example of excellent storytelling. Um, um, Agatha Raisin is the same type of thing. It's funny, yet it gets – Underneath mm-hmm. the surface, it gets to the person, it gets to their essential conflicts, the good and bad things about them, without making them a secret axe murderer, without them, you know, screwing their best friend's husband. Because, you know, 
grow in and make it, you know, that's just, that's not in, in organic. It's, I guess it's organic storytelling. Okay, I guess that's what I would call it. So, yeah. Right. And I think that's right. what draws a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Keep going. So okay. That's draws a lot. okay, that's what draws a lot of people. Um, you know, the thing that I loved when I was in London last November, and I found it across the board that everyone was just nice. They were nice. And all you had mm-hmm. to be was polite, you know. I mean, they weren't perfect. They had faults like everybody else. But, you know, I, I watched, you know, did a lot of people watching there because I was kind of by myself some of the time. And everyone was just nice, you know. They were kind to each other. I mean, I'm sure they weren't always kind to each other. And I think that that's, you know, and they have their problems too because they're pretty divided over Brexit. And it got, I heard some pretty interesting perspectives on Brexit, two very different ones. But I think that mm-hmm. that, you know, it kind of goes back to that. I'm not saying they're necessarily better off than we are because I don't know. Everyone's got problems. But, but I think organic storytelling is really important. So based on this great storytelling that pulls you in and makes you this fan, you, you want to take this trip. And I think it's really creative as to how you did this. Now we can talk right. a little bit more about this pet sitting and cat sitting stuff because I've heard of the house <laughs> right. but I never realized right. that you could do this and you don't have to pay for hotels or anything, right? Uh, no, not yeah, no, no, you don't. Um, you know, I'm on a budget like a lot of people, um, and I like to do d- kind of different kinds of travel anyway. Um, and you know, I looked at a lot of different things. When I was thinking about going over there, I looked at writers' retreats. I looked at at uh, Airbnb, and then, like I said, I stumbled upon this pet sitting site uh, about five, four, three or four years before I actually went. And I subscribed to it, and I had to be—you have to be vetted. They do a background check on you and everything, so they do vet you. Um, and I knew my limitations. I knew that I could only sit for cats because that's all I've had is cats. And I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to sit for a dog because I didn't think I would do a good job, as good of a job. And I wanted to give the animal the same animals, the same kind of love and attention that I give my own. So I went through a bunch of different, you know, they have postings there where you you don't have to pay for your room and board. Uh, and it depends on who you're sitting for. But it's great because you get to live somebody else's life for whatever time you're there. And take care of the animals. And if you love a certain kind of animal, as I love most cats, uh, it, it's great. But, you know, there's certain things that you have to realize when you go into it is that, you know, you're, you're there for the animal. You're there for them. They're not there for you. Okay, that's the first thing. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is if you're going to live like a native. You're not going to be a tourist. You're going to kind of live like a native. Like when I was um, – I was, once again, this was kind of amazing how this all came about because when I finally got this trip, two of the people who I applied to the cat sit for a couple different people. The one that I ended up with was in Ilford in London for 12 days. But then I, um, there were a a couple with, uh, had two cats in Buckinghamshire, which is where Midsummer Murders was filmed. And the woman, the wife was a native of the village where the, Show, one of the villages where the show was filmed, and they invited me to stay the night through the pet sitting site. They had two cats. I was going to sit for their cats, 
but I, it didn't work out. The timing didn't work out. But these people were so nice. They invited me into their home. They took me around midsummer. It was an incredible, incredible experience. One of the best of my life. It was just to see where all that stuff was filmed. And they don't actually film it as much there. I mean, they're not really filming it anywhere right now. But there's a whole tourist industry around there. They have bus tours. They have a visitor center. They have, you know, I was really lucky because I was with this woman who was a native, and she knew all the people. She knew all the places. And we, and I'm like, oh, my God, I remember this. And she's like, oh, yes, this is where they filmed this and this and this. And then I actually met a guy who was an extra in one of the shows. They, he got murdered. He got killed off. He was just a, 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 a you know, not a, not a, not a big name actor. But I actually met him. So that was that was really cool. That was really cool. Uh, where were we headed? With and, <laughs> I kind of lost. I lost the thread. No, no, no. It's okay. You're doing great. Um, and so, do you did you do the the house sitting or the, the and the pet sitting more than once? Like, did you travel around doing it in different areas? Is that no, your first and only experience? No, with it? no. That was my first and only experience with it. It it, it takes a lot to do it, especially if you're self-supporting and you have animals. I mean, I have two cats at home. I have an 18-year-old Himalayan cat that I actually had to hire a pet sitter for. And then I have another cat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a cat, uh, my son, my late son's cat. He's about 10. He's, he's, he's fine, but uh, the old one is needed to be watched every day. So between my daughter-in-law and the pet sitter, my cats had to be looked after every day. Um, but, no, I did it once. But, you know, I, you know, I clicked with the people that I pet sit with. They were so funny. I mean, they were very British. They were, and the, the neighborhood that I was in was not a fancy neighborhood. It wasn't anything, you know, it was just a, you know, a middle class neighborhood. Um, it, a lot of uh, Eastern, uh, Eastern uh, Muslim people, Muslims, Indians. There were some Eastern European people, Asians. It was a very, a very ethnic neighborhood, which I really liked. I thought, and everyone was nice to me. I was a minority there, and everyone was so nice. Mm-hmm. You know, it was great. You could walk around at night. But it wasn't anything fancy. But my first priority was making sure the cats were okay. And, I mean, they were outdoor cats. And that's the thing. In England, people have pet doors and their cats run around that doors. So I never let my cats outside. Well, these cats were outdoor cats. The first few nights, I'm awake all night, and it's raining. I'm thinking the cats are dead. They're not coming back. They, they came back. I mean, it was like I never <laughs> pet that for outdoor cats. And I'm like, oh, my God, when's, when's Kitsy coming in? Why hasn't – it's like we're worrying about a child. When's Kitsy coming back? It's 3 a.m. Sorry, Kitsy. <laughs> That's so funny. I, I would be a nervous wreck. I would be an absolute I nervous wreck. I was. I was the first couple. But then it was uh, fine. And they mm-hmm. actually brought in a mouse one time, and, I had, and I, I've never dealt with mice. And you have to be able to do this stuff. But I developed a mouse contingency plan. And, and, and so the cats brought in a mouse. Fortunately, it was alive. These ladies, like I said, they were really cool. They had a whole bunch of wine bottles. I surrounded the mouse with wine bottles. Per my plan, I took a big cup. I had a glass up on the counter. I took a glass of a piece of paper, slid it under the mouse, took the mouse outside. The mouse was more scared than I was. <laughs> so you have to be able to do <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> and, and you have to do oh, absolutely. Because when, because at, when I was visiting with these people, I was a guest of these people in Buckinghamshire. Um, but uh, when I was staying with them, that there was a lady that was baby, that was pet sitting for a dog, I think. Um, 
uh, down the street, and she had never driven a car in the UK. Now that you don't want to do that, if you're in a, in a pet center house that's in, in a foreign country and you don't know how to drive, you don't know the roads, you want to make sure, like for example, you're near public transportation. Okay, I made sure I was. I mean, you know, that sort of thing. You have to think that kind of thing through. You really do, because you'll be otherwise you're trapped in a house with no no place to go with two animals, and that could be really hard if you don't have a have a plan, contingency plan of how you're going to spend your time. So I would recommend, right. and a lot of people do it do very well at it. I mean, they I, they'll do what I do. They I took day trips. I didn't stay out overnight because I wanted to be back every night, but I took day trips and I you know, went to the theater one day and I had met a couple of friends. And so I, I kept myself busy. So, and I also was doing some writing that I wanted to do. So. Well, yeah, let me great. ask you for other people, for other people who are fans of this show and want to take a similar trip, um, you know, what, um, from the show perspective, what, what tip would you give them about, going there and seeing the sites where this was filmed, um, what tip could you give for them? Oh, yes. There's a bunch of websites. Um, let me see if I still have what I should. Give me a quick session. Give me a quick session. Give me a quick moment. Yeah, let me get my glasses on. I have a whole – there's um, – okay. Well, you can me, send them to, to me, and I can attach them to the show send, notes on my yes, podcast. yes. Yeah, yeah, it should be on here. I, it better be on here because like, I haven't written the article yet. So it sounds like sure. so you you do a lot of pre-research before you get out there. And right, were these were these websites of like touring places, like places you could take tours? Yes, what there are there's a guided tours of Midsummer Murders location. There's a Midsummer Murders website, I and mean, you can do all kinds of things. There are guys, visit, I, I'll show you top sense, I have visit Britain, visit England, I'll send you a bunch of links, okay, and you can put it on there. You can do it through visit Britain, you can do it through, all you have to do is Google Midsummer Murders Tours and a bunch of them pop up on the internet. It's that easy. I mean, it is. Terrific. So I'm not, yeah, um, I mean, I was really, oh, I'm sorry, I was very lucky because I met somebody who actually lived there and they took me around and I got to see I mean, my, my article that I'm working on is, is the pubs of midsummer. And I got to see these amazing pubs. I got to see a lot of things that people that go on these tours don't get to see because I was with a native, which is an incredible experience. But I'm also going to write about it, so it's going to be Right. You know. And um, it, are you – have you always been like, – you talked about this show and some other shows. Have you always been a, a film and TV fan? I mean, has that always been something that has interested you? Well, you know, um, not per se. Not really. I mean, certain things I, – I've liked certain TV shows. And in my lifetime, you know, at one point I was obsessed with Judge Judy. At one point I, I was obsessed with ER you know, through various points in my life. Um, I mean, I enjoy television and films a lot. I, I'm not what you would call a fan. I know people that, you know, like follow around the Grateful Dead and they go to different concerts or whatever. You know, I'm not that kind of fan. But, yeah, I mean, it's all mm -hmm. part of our culture and pop culture, which it's all addresses the same issues. So, yeah, I guess I would, you would say I am. 
Now let's talk a little bit about your book that has been has been or will be re released. Oh, the Pipe Dream. That yeah. is uh, the first book I started writing when I first started to become a writer. Uh, that is a book about the student protest movement in, in, a, in a small Ohio college, mid-sized Ohio college. Uh, it was basically based on, and it started out being based on uh, me and my friends and what we did back in the day. Um, and it changed, transformed itself enormously in, as I grew as a writer and began to understand some of the politics behind the protest movement and the various players. Because initially I was only looking at it from one side. Um, and so I ended up re It took me like 20 years to write. It just took me a really long time to write. And that's not the only thing I did, obviously. Um, and uh, it was first published in 2001. I was just getting divorced at that time. Uh, and it was published right before September 11th. <laughs> I spent 25 years trying to get that thing published, and it was published right before September 11th. A book on yeah. student protest during Vietnam, right at, I mean, before 9-11, I was upset, and actually someone that I know, uh, who uh, not, she wasn't a character in the book, but I knew her. She was actually on flight 11, and I wrote about her uh, from Miami that I knew back in the day. I, I didn't know her real well, but I knew of her. She was on flight 11, and when I did a follow-up, Nonfiction book to the pipe dreamers. I wrote, I did a chapter about her too, but it was not a good time for it to be re, to be released. And although, even though it did very well, I mean, I did a lot of work with it. I did a lot of workshops with a lot of coffee houses, a lot of presentations. So um, when the and, and I really haven't done much with the '60s and that part of the Vietnam protests in recent years. I've been doing many other things, but. When the 50th anniversary came around, I approached the person who bought out my publisher, and I said, would you be interested in a reissue of this book for the 50th anniversary of Kent State? And he said, yes. And I'm like, oh, okay. You know, it was like almost an afterthought, frankly. Well, I was like, okay. And it was like I was just kind of doing it, you know, here and there. And different things happened with the cover. And it's just how weird how that took place because – my decision to put make the, the cover is pretty fantastic and gorgeous. It's on Amazon, but my my cover mm-hmm. decisions were were actually based on uh, based on some things that happened to me when I was in London, uh, which I probably shouldn't go into, but I have permission, so I'm legal. Um, but you know, <laughs> and I was picking the cover at that time, and and then uh, Tony said, "Well, you need to re- read it and edit it because there are some typos in there," and I'm like, "Oh, really?" You know, I've been through a divorce. I've been through my son's illness. I lost my son. I had to reread this book. What am I going to think? I was kind of worried. You know, it's like, put your money where your mouth is, kid. So I sat down and I started to read it, and it was like I fell in love with it all over again. It was the weirdest thing. It was the weirdest thing. It was like an old friend that you haven't met in 20 years, and you catch up, and no time has passed. And I was thrilled. I mean, I did have to make corrections there were errors and you know the, the new edition is greatly greatly improved over the other one in terms of er, typographical errors layout things you know different things you know lighter things and there was some phraseology that I took had to, to to you know mess with a little bit so that it would be more appropriate for the time period today you know um, you know lot back then people would always criticize you know for example what, here's an example People would always criticize women 
about their weight. And it was a common thing to say, well, she only lost a few pounds, she'd look great. Well, having my main character, love interest, say that was, was not, would not make him an appealing character. So that had to be changed. Little things like that. But the book, for, by and large, is pretty much unchanged from when I first published in 2001. So, and it was first published in 2001 so by the other publisher. So that's, that's wow. the story behind that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. I couldn't believe it. And I thought this book is, I mean, I mean, I mean, I, you know, to walk away from your work for not read it for 18 years, and to you know, kind of go through a lot of stuff in your life, and then be caught up with it again. I don't know what that says. I, I mean, I either permanently deluded or it's really great. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I think you hope you do. <laughs> You know, I, I think it gives hope, though, to, to a lot of the people who listen to the podcast, who, because I know a lot of writers listen to podcasts. I mean, I just know that right. as a fact. And to hear a story like this, that if I looked back at something that I was working on 18 years ago and I thought, you know what, this might be a possibility. This might be the right time to do this now. You know, just right. the same way that if you wanted to take a trip 18 years ago, now might be the right time. Or you wanted to make a film right. 18 years ago, now might be. So I, I don't think exactly. there should be a deadline on anything that we're doing. It, if you think it's the right no. time, then you should do it. Right. 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 You, know, you, just you are um, prepared. Let me ask you, where do people find you and, and keep up with what you're doing on social media or on your website? Give them all that good information. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, well, Facebook, Sandra Gerbis. I'm the only one that I know of. Uh, my website, www.sandragerbis.com. You can also Google my name and all that will pop up. I'm also on LinkedIn. But mostly, you know, if, you want to keep, if people want to keep up with me, um, I can't, I'm doing a, a, a I mean, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm doing a thing for the Thurber House in Columbus on Thursday, and, and I tell all my friends, well, are you willing to pay $5 to hear me talk? So that's kind of how I feel about this stuff. But, you know, really, are you really going to check me out? Okay. But, you know, I try to be entertaining. I try to be fair. I try to, you know post things that people will find interesting. It isn't always about me and my writing because I think that's kind of, you know, beside the point. A, you know, a thing mm -hmm. here and there, of course, absolutely. But uh, it's uh, Sandra Gervis on Facebook, uh, 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 .com. We, uh, my, public, my publisher and I, we have, I have a website called booksaboutthe60s.com. Um, and there's two T's, B-O-O-K-S. A B O U T T H E dot com. That website mm -hmm. uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to revamp. It hasn't been revamped yet. We're trying to figure out how to redo it. But that has some information about the sixties too and the student protest movement. But I don't know, my publisher's working with somebody to try to to I don't to take the stuff down and put it back up. I don't know what's gonna happen with that. So um, but anyway, yeah. But there's still a lot of ways to find you out there and keep on top of what you're doing. And you, right. I could keep talking to you. I mean, I wish I had a two-hour podcast because I could keep talking you. to you about some of the things that, that you've done. And I'm thrilled that you came on to my podcast to talk well, about your book you. and your experiences and Midsummer Murder. So thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. 
That was a great interview. Sandra, thank you so much for coming by. Um, so continuing on, we have some, well, I, I don't know who we is. I'm the only one sitting in this office, but <laughs> I have a podcast pick. I started doing this uh, last episode where I told you guys about an RV podcast that I was obsessed with. And this week, I'd like to actually give you another one to check out. And it's Heath and Alyssa. They're actually two. They're a couple. They're two people very well known in the RV industry, the podcasting industry. What I liked about uh, Heath and Alyssa's podcast, and it's called RV Entrepreneur, is the fact that they not only talk to you about things you should know about living in an RV, but also about making a living in an RV, which is what my intention is when I go on the road. It's to uh, work and live in an RV. So um, I want you to give them a shout out, tell them I sent you, and their website is heathandalyssa.com, and their podcast is RV Entrepreneur. And I'll be back on a, you know in another week to give you another podcast pick. But in the meantime, if the interview with Sandra and our conversation about Midsummer Murders has triggered your desire to travel to London, my episode sponsor, Kim Del Pont. Kim Delpont, owner and the operator of Pixie Dust and Paradise Travel. Her website is pixiedustandparadisetravel.com. She has these travel tips for you before you go, and that's invest in packing cubes. They're a huge help in keeping yourself organized while traveling. Always check your passports, especially if you want to go somewhere soon, as many countries require six months validity from the date of the return, and bring photocopies of your passport and your birth certificate with you. Remember to keep all medications and important documents in your carry-on. You'll be very happy you did in the event that your luggage gets lost. I take thyroid medication every day, and I'm not going to put it in my suitcase. Um, it's something I need every day, and even if it's something that you don't need every day but you may need and you're not sure and you're traveling, the last thing you want to happen is you show up at your destination and your luggage does not. So put the important stuff in your carry-on or in your pocketbook. Do not carry all of your money and your credit cards in the same place. You should separate them because if your wallet or purse are stolen, then you're, you're done. So separating them and keeping something in your suitcase or something in your um, you know, carry-on or giving it to somebody you're traveling with, um, somebody trustworthy that you're traveling with, uh, prevents that from happening if you lose something. You're not going to be completely destitute being the way. And you should always protect your investments, so spend the extra few bucks and get travel insurance. Just like car insurance, you hope never need to use it, but when you do, you're sure glad you did. It all seems simple and obvious, but Kim tells me she has to reiterate these tips to clients on a daily basis. So speaking of uh, social media and, and where to find people like we did with Sandra and where to find uh, Aaron and, and Kim. You can find me on Twitter at the Virgin Traveler. You please follow Real Travels on Facebook. Please leave me a rating and a review wherever you listen to the podcast. I'm now on Stitcher and Google Play. So if you're listening to me on those uh, services right now, thank you so much for tuning in. And one more thing, if you want to tell your film and TV travel story, please reach out to me and let me know. I'd love to have you on the show. I feel like I'm about to get the hiccups. So thanks again to everybody, to Kim Del Pont, owner-operator of Pixie Dustin's Paradise Travel, 
and to Aaron Stevens, uh, formerly known as Damian Sandow, which we should not have to say that anymore. He's Aaron, and he calls himself the Dow. So thank you so much for being on the show, and to Sandra Gervis for an awesome episode and interview. And I'll be back next week. And in the meantime, please get out and travel. Mm-hmm.